I was appointed deputy minister in 2011. I was still a baby then. People don't take me serious because they say a little girl in me. If I'm in meetings, come, 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 can you bring water? Can you, can you make a cup of tea? So that's what I was. And you couldn't say no. It doesn't matter if you're going to miss out on the engagements or deliberations of the meeting. You've got to go. It's an elder that's asking you. That's how we were taught. And with men, it's worse. All they see is this sexy thing. They don't listen to what you say. They're busy. You can see they want to devour you there. But again, it depends on you how you want to then make sure that I'm going to own this bottle. Meet the Dragon Lady. At least that's what those close to Minister Stella Tembisa and Debeni Abrams call her. Ndabeni Abrams is the political head of the country's communications, telecommunications and postal services. The portfolio has seen more upheaval than most over the years. Ndabeni Abrams is the 13th minister in 25 years of democracy. And she's got a series of hills to climb, including the fight for the survival of the SABC. Communications Minister Stella Ndabeni Abrahams has revealed National Treasury has agreed to provide the SABC with urgent interim financial relief. Treasury has agreed to throw the SABC a lifeline. Communications Minister Stella Ndabeni Abrams, who's been in talks with Treasury, says she doesn't know how much money that will involve. We just needed assurance that by the end of the month there will be a relief. Ndabeni Abrams served as the Deputy Minister from 2011 and last year, President Cyril Ramaphosa handed her the reins. I, Stella Tembisan Dabene Abrahams, swear that I'll be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. Swear that I will be faithful to the Republic of South Africa. And will obey. And will obey. Respect. Respect. And uphold the Constitution. And uphold the Constitution. And all other law. She's a committed career woman, for sure. But Ndebeni Abrams wears many other hats too, including activist mother and wife and while she tackles her work with much gusto she has not escaped challenges on the home front she has had to fend off public allegations and vicious gossip about her personal life and just two years ago her brother was sent to prison for rape my name is Mia Lindiki, and in this podcast series, I will be looking into the intricate lives of some of South Africa's most resilient politicians, how they carry responsibilities that come with their work while juggling their own personal struggles. Growing up, Stella Ndebeni Abrams' life was centered around school, church, and politics. By coincidence or not, her parents' home is a stone throw away from that of late Nelson Mandela in the Eastern Cape. But she wasn't politically conscious from the get-go. Her parents were pastors. Ndebeni Abrams brought us to a school in Timbisa to show us the school's colorful bright blue computer lab. It's a high-tech place that makes her reflect on her upbringing, poor and deprived. As we sit and chat, the sounds of children in the neighboring classrooms wafts in on the breeze. She came from humble beginnings and was the eldest of six children. She was expected to always do the right thing as the firstborn child and a pastor's daughter. But soon she became rebellious. Very difficult, trust me. I remember at some point because... I'm a bit of a rebel, I'm sure you know that. 
So there will be things that are happening at church and I want to challenge the status quo. And I'll be called to order by the elders that, hey, you're embarrassing your parents. To an extent that me being me, I'll be like, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a church leader. I'm a child to a church leader. I happen to be told to come to church. You, you got something, maybe the Holy Spirit or whatever that made you to come to church. But with me, I was born into church. So it's not like I had a choice. So that's what I would say when I tell them. So allow me to be human. And of course, whilst they're trying to allow me, it has to be within the disciplines of the church. And of course, my dad was very strict then. And how did he respond to some of your uppers as you are when you're a teenager experiencing life to the limit? I mean, surely he was not happy with that. Yeah, I, I guess because he didn't understand my political life. That was the challenge. It was in Standard 4 then when I, I began to be active in, in, in the politics. So when I have to leave and, you know, because we'll go camping three days and whatever training that we must go for. But fortunately, that time I was staying with my aunt. So my aunt understood things were better. But the problem was when I, I have to come home, I had to make them understand, Dad, I didn't choose it. You didn't choose it, but this is who I am. I need to be involved. And your siblings? Tell us more about them. I mean, were you teaming up, you know, against mom and dad? I didn't get that privilege, actually, of having siblings to team up with me. I grew up with my aunt in the other area, so my siblings were with my parents. So I would only see them when I visit during holidays. And, of course, you know, if you didn't grow up together, it's very difficult for you to bond to that level of plotting parents. But now I guess we're beginning to pick that up because the people that I would plot with were the cousins and everybody that I grew up with. But going back home, of course, yeah, after some time, these are my siblings. Actually, these are my parents. Oh, so my mom is also my mom. Because at some point I thought, I think I'm just my dad's child. My mom was very strict, more than my dad. My dad is quiet. My mom is just like me. <laughs> so... I was like, there's no way I'm born by that woman who's strict like that. Then I'm certain that I'm my daddy's child whom he got somewhere. That's why I'm staying with the aunt. <laughs> <laughs> but later on, as I was yeah, moving standard, towards standard five, then, oh, okay, actually, these are my parents. This is my mother. So that's when I went back home to stay with both my parents when I was doing standard six. And I stayed with both of them, standard six, standard seven. And going to high school, I stayed with my dad because, as I was saying, I was in town now, studying in town. But yeah, we had a mild relationship with the siblings, as I'm telling you, because one thing that I have learned, actually, that's what it taught me, that your children must grow up under one roof if you want them to be a team. Because there's difficulty in managing characters and understanding each other's weaknesses. Armed with an inquisitive mind, she became involved in the ANC when she was still in high school. The political roots were firmly planted when she was recruited as a marshal when struggle stalwart Walter Sisulu and others were released from prison. But in 1998, a tragedy struck when a brother suddenly died. And in 2015, she lost another brother to illness. Definitely, it's not an easy thing to lose a sibling, but you can feel more for my mother, because that was her second child. The brother that came after me immediately had passed on, I guess that was in 1998 or so, 1999, I can't remember, and he was shot. So my mom went through that first, 
and then now my second brother is also. But at least he was not short, he got sick. That must have been a shock for the entire family, you know. For everyone, trust me, because as you grow together and you begin to appreciate certain things and achievements, you're like, at least there's hope there, there's hope there. We're a family of six, or we used to be a family of six, and as I said, now we're four. And with the two that are late, um, except myself, I've got my two brothers and my younger sister. Uh, out of the two brothers that I have, the other one is in prison right now for rape case. The other one is there at home running his tavern by his place and my younger sister is studying in East London. Oh, she's still studying. Okay. She has to, she doesn't have a choice. The sadness of losing two brothers was compounded by another brother's conviction on rape charges. Her tone shifts as she talks about it. She's matter of fact as I ask her how she dealt with it. He deserves it and all that, but you know, any other parent believes a child can change like any mother believes that it doesn't matter what the child does but i'll pray to god he's going to change and all that whilst we're like let him rot in there so you've got to balance the two you being a woman that you sympathize with the other woman that was raped and then your mother that also is a problem so but yeah she's okay because she understands that it was wrong and yeah it's just oh. that for her is to support like uh, like any other mother how old were you when this happened? Uh, no, it's, it happened recently. Um, I think he went to prison last year, or last of mm. last year. Last of last year, yeah. Mm. How did you react when all of this happened? I'm not that passionate, unfortunately. <laughs> so I was like, well, he has raped. Can't be paying for lawyers, let him rot in jail. That's me. I'm not that nice where people do wrong. So if you have been caught with wrong, at first, of course, I will sympathize. Maybe, indeed, as you say, it's not true. But then once I realize becoming a habit, I back off. You've got to face your own music. I'm not party to that. So to me, it's about women first. No man must abuse any woman. So I sympathize with the victim first. Doesn't matter if it's by my brother or whoever. So there's no issue of blood where wrong is concerned. That's why they call me Dragon Lady. Isn't it? <laughs> okay, but yes. you stand up for the right things, right? Yes, those and that you... I believe that are right. Yes. I do. That speaks volumes about your character and what you believe in. You'll stand by it. If that's right, I guess I wouldn't want to be violated myself. So it starts there. How would I feel as a person? So it starts with me. I put myself there, especially if you're a woman against a man. Because I'm like, how many will go through that? Does it mean now because he's my brother, I've got to be paying lawyers whilst the poor girl is traumatized and she must be cross-examined by people who went to school to cross-examine others and the poor girl has never received any legal training. So just with that, it irritates me. But hey, the country's laws allow that. One wonders how Ndebeni Abrams has managed to remain centered through it all. She says it's all rooted in her faith. During the course of the interview, her relationship with God is apparent. She often quotes biblical verses to reference her journey. I guess because of my experiences and how I grew up and where God has put me now, it has taught me one thing that I always tell people. 
I hear people saying God loves us all equally, and I'm like, I don't believe that. I think he loves me more than others because of what has been happening in my life, what is, I've been through and where he has put me because at all times, it doesn't matter if I find myself in a fix now, but one thing I know, I call upon him and he really comes through for me. So that's who I am. It may be the fact that I grew up like that from home, but that's something that I resonate with well. And that's what I try to teach my children, even if my daughter rebels. How is it? She rebels a lot. I told you she's a bit. Yes. She'll be like, Mom, where was God when apartheid was running our people in this country? And I'll be telling her, God was there, but he needed us to learn a lesson. Because at all times we've got to throw our hardships and struggles in order to realize his life, his love. And I believe that's why in South Africa we got freedom without killing each other because of the work of God. He had to prove to the world that it's doable to sit with the people that prostituted you, the people that killed whoever in your family, but then you are one at the end of the day. And with us, it was just negotiations, and we got our freedom. Most people had to go to exile in their country, suppose they're going to be killed or whatever, but it didn't happen with us. I think God loves us more. You are family-orientated, tightly-knitted family. Do you have your support base, you know, like friends, two best friends, someone that you like, if everything comes down, you knock on their door and just go pour your heart out? Uh, I spoke earlier about my childhood friend, Nozi. Yes, I bother her a lot, she knows. It doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m., I'm going to call the husband, knows that. I'll be doing that. So if I want to come and cry to her house, I will do that. She's me. I take her as part of me. But I'm also blessed with sisters, blessed with other sisters in the struggle, like Abo and Pem Trete. These are the elders that have walked the path. They've seen it all, so their advice you trust. It's not an advice that can mislead you, you know, like in any elder that wants to see a child growing up. And my parents, my mother-in-law and my mom, they're very supportive. So I scream, 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 I cry. My mom-in-law will arrive 2 a.m. And Wanaga, please open the door. My baby, please open. I'm here. Wow. And then I cry. I say whatever that I want to say to her. And then let's pray. Well, we all like that, both from my in-laws and my family. Okay, let's pray. Or put them on the phone. Put them on speaker. We have a telecom. We pray. In the same way Ndebeni Abrams speaks about her creator, she talks just as fondly about her three children. She calls them her biggest achievements. All three, two boys and one girl, are in school. Her daughter, Esinako, is an author in her own right, having penned the book Born to Kwaito. I've got a very beautiful girl named Essie. Um, she's a published author of Born to Kwaito. I don't know if you read about the book. Uh, she's at UCT. She's doing her final year now. She had to take a break last year because of depression. So I, I've seen it all. And, but she's strong, just like her mom. Because, I mean, like, she's managed to come back to school. And for me, that was one thing that God, you remained faithful to me. Doesn't matter what you put me through, but at the end of the day, as the Bible says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So weapons will be there, obstacles will be there, but at the end of the day, I will emerge. That's my mantra in life. So as I've seen it all with her, yeah, I learned to say, thank you, God. And of course, after her, I've got my two sons. The other one is here in Pretoria Boys, Kusi. Okay, their names, the first one is Estinago, what do we have? The other one is Kusi Sipo, is a gift. That's how we name them. And of course, the last one is Somela, we will be rooted 
in your God in everything that happens. And he's studying in Devon. Very cute guys, far away, very independent, (laughs) very independent, (laughs) yeah. Her face beams with pride when she talks about her other love, her husband, Tato Abrams. She refers to him as someone who keeps the family together and looks after the children's needs. Very married. To a handsome man from Velgom, Uh, his name is Tato, Patrick Abrahams, Um, his mom is Swana, but now living in Welcome, so they, that makes her Sutu. And with his dad, who's colored, handsome, and Abraham's. Husband, he misses you. I mean, how tough is that in a relationship? Trust me, he, says he misses me to a point that at days he feels like, I wish I could have married a teacher who was going to go to class. And he always says, a teacher in Gala, Gala is a small town in my province. Would go to school eight o'clock if it's eight o'clock, and after three she's home, so that I come back to my wife. That's how he goes at times. But of course, he tries to meet me halfway because he does understand. Unfortunately, supportive of the work, so he tries to follow me around when he can. Of course, with the kids, I'm not there, so he's the one that is there with them full time. So it also helps the balance that whilst I'm working, I don't have to be stressing about what kids are going through, what's happening. As a result, even when they are hungry, even if I'm around, they don't tell mommy, they tell daddy because they don't spend much time with mommy. How does it make you feel? Um... So bad. It makes you feel bad as a parent. No mother wants to miss any step of her child's growing up. You want to be there. Like, if you know, oh, he used to like soccer and you're busy buying soccer things. No, he doesn't like soccer anymore. He's into skating. And you're like, oh, when did that happen? You miss out on important things, but also their development, even if they're not doing well at school, because, I mean, like, you can throw money by getting tutors, but there's a need for that personal engagement with your own child, which is something that this job takes away from our families. And nobody gets to notice that, that our husbands, they get to stay without their wives, our children, they don't have parents because we've got to do good for the country. But it was not always smooth sailing for the couple. Last year, they were rocked by rumors of infidelity. It hurt at the time, but now she addresses the issue with honesty. So when you read about that article on my husband and the alleged cheating, for me, as much as I was hurt, but I was like, God, you know why you put me here? And God, you have said, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. If you have chosen this man for me, then you're going to do right by us. So, as I'm saying, you had because you are a human being. But as I had, I always go to my box and say, God, you put me here. What do I do? I tell people all the time, there's nothing that you can find in the Bible, actually. Even how to pray and how to react when you have a husband that cheated on you how to move towards forgiveness. Because what I hate about grudges or not forgiving is the fact that I can't pray in the evening. And the person that I am believes that I must pray. Thank God for the protection of the day and the night that I'm going to. And as I go to the Lord's Prayer again, it will forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, if I'm not happy, it means I'm not going to pray because I can't be lying to God and saying, forgive me and I've forgiven others. So that's how I come back to say, I need to pray, I need to talk to God. So I've got to let it go for me, not for anybody else. I've got to let it go so that God can also 
forgive me in that that I do. With all the challenges that life in the limelight would present, Ndebeni Abrams was never deterred and remained steadfast when it came to her goals. I've got a friend of mine, maybe it will have to go and interview her. She always reminds me and tell people that whilst we're busy doing Standard 5, I would tell them as they're busy going having fun, that guys, I don't have time to have fun because I must shape your future. And I was in Standard 5 when I said that. That's what she reminds me of. And then, of course, I wasn't privileged. I did tell you that I grew up from a very poor family. I didn't have money. I remember I registered at Technicon SA. Technicon SA, my mom had to go borrow money from one of the ladies who was a teacher. But of course, it was just money for registration. After that, we couldn't survive. And my dad that time was no longer working. So I took a break, I got to be active, of course, I'll get involved about PPSA, I don't know if you know about PPSA, the Planned Parenthood Association of South Africa, that would teach people about HIV, STIs and all that, and of course being busy with the ANC volunteer work. So that's what I did until I got a job, where then I decided to go and enroll for project management. First got with certificate, went to the diploma level, just some time, then I went to parliament, and I registered with FETS. That's why I'm still struggling. Are you still studying? What are you studying? My so, master's for ICT policy and regulation. Wow. It must be hard. Very. That's why I'm not finishing the research. I've been doing those masters last year. I took a break. This year I decided I'm coming back. Please, guys, allow me because I have to finish it. Actually, I had always told myself I wouldn't be a minister without masters. But it happened. And I tried to run away. That's why the first time I was not there. But the second time, I couldn't escape it. As we wrap up the interview, we touch on a sensitive but very topical subject, the effort to fix the national broadcaster. I tried to get a sense of how tough it might be for her behind the scenes, asking whether those decisions and media articles keep her up at night. Well, I don't stress about media because I'm one person who says you guys have to sell in order to buy food. So I don't stress about that because I've learned that you will drive your agenda despite what I'm doing. I stress about the conditions that SABC, because it is in my interest not to see anyone losing a job if we can prevent it. But also it is in my interest to make sure that if I'm going to put government money, there's accountability and every cent is spent accordingly. So that's what I stress about, how to turn SABC around without undermining the law, without wasting the taxpayers' money. What the media says, I don't stress about it, I promise you. That's me. I told you, the things that I, I'm not responsible for, I let them, God deal with them. Because I'll be stressing and then what? It's not like you're going to stop writing or you're going to stop broadcasting. You're going to go ahead anyway. And it doesn't matter if you have came to me, I have given you this information, we'll go ahead with what you want to say. So I don't stress about media. It's one of the platforms, one of the platforms. The people that I interact with, they get to see me, they get to see my efforts that I'm making. So. As we stand up following the interview, Ndabeni Abrams pops into one of the nearby classrooms. It's full of great ones who gaze at the beautiful grown-up who's dropped in to say hi. Good morning, babies. My name is Mama Stella. Do you watch TV? Yeah. Yes! Are you watching my TV? I see you! <laughs> the minister laughs and jokes with the kids and says goodbye, striding into the cool Johannesburg morning and back to a packed agenda.
Thanks for joining me. Listen out for my other podcasts in this series where I sit down with ministers Angie Motsecha, Lindiwe Zulu and Barbara Creasy. You've been listening to an EWN podcast written by Mia Lindiki, produced by Peter Thron, subbed by Lebohang Ntate and Charlotte Kilbane.